0: If you're visiting today for the first time, just wanna say welcome, I'm glad that you've come. I would highly encourage you in front of you, if you're new with us, I would highly encourage you to pick up a set of notes, because today is a beginning of a new series. And along with the notes, notes are no good unless you have a pen. In this church, you need to always come armed with a pen. Because without a pen, you won't be able to remember what we've been talking about. And we're kicking off a brand new series this week, called Reasons for Believing. Reasons for Believing. And this has been on my heart for the last, perhaps, year. And I've been working through a series, and here we're going to get started. start. Has anybody ever asked you this at work, or at university, or even at school? Here's a question. Why are you a Christian? Why? Now, in this room, some of you, Are Christians in this room? Some of you are not Christians. You're kind of figuring it out. What's going on? You may be an agnostic, which is somebody who doesn't, not quite sure. If you're in that camp, a technical term for you is an agnostic. Or on the other hand, there's really only other one type of possibility, and that is you are an atheist. An atheist, and you may well be in this room today. An atheist says quite boldly, there is no such thing as God. That's what an atheist is. So there's basically three categories of people. Those who are believers, those who are not sure, and they're still figuring it out. That's fine. And then the third category of an atheist. I know because I talk to my children, and some of them have been asked at university, hey, why are you a Christian? And that's a very fair question. Because if you sit down next to an atheist, they're going to tell you, now, hi, my name's Bob, and I'm an atheist. And these are the reasons why I am an atheist. And they will give you them. One to ten. Why are you a follower of Jesus Christ, rather than Muhammad? That's a good question when you're talking to a Muslim. Why are you a follower of Buddha or somebody else? And if you today are a follower of Buddha, that is a very good question. Why are you? So whether or not you have been asked this question in your life, this question will come up in your children's lives, in your life, In your grandchildren's lives, it'll come up at work. It will definitely come up at university, often with lecturers. It will come up because people are deep down curious. How many of you saw in the Herald, I think two weeks ago, the new scientific evidence about life after death? Did anybody see that? Yeah, quite a few of you did. People see, are curious. Is this all there is? Do I just get up? Have baby, you know, uh, go to school, get married, have babies, work like a dog, retire, and die. Is that all there is? And people are curious about that. People are curious about other religions, and they want to talk about their ideas. Now, some of the ones—I mean, celebrities talk about them all the the time. Who are some of the celebrities that talk about their religion quite often? Does any come to mind? Who? Yeah. Bono does. He's a Christian, though. What about um, some that aren't? Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise, who is a what? Oh, my goodness. We're dealing with a very educated bunch of people today. <laughs> Tom Cruise, absolutely. And, of course, his sidekick, John Travolta. They're always yakking about Scientology. And we're going to cover some of the alternate religions later on. When I did my doctorate ministry, I studied 13 major other religions and we're going to cover that further on so you get a bit of an idea about what they're Madonna, she talks about her and advocates her Kabbalist beliefs along with Demi Moore and of course Paris Hilton and Ashton Kutcher. So if you have been asked why are you a Christian, what was your answer? Was it because I just believe? Was it because the Bible tells me so? Because I love Jesus. What was it? See that answer because I love Jesus, because the Bible tells me so, is actually recursive because you're using something, you're using what we call recursive logic. It may not be that helpful to your fellow at university or at work or at IBM. It may just not be as helpful. And we're gonna look through the series at how some bastions of faith, some warriors of faith like Paul, actually provided evidence of what he had seen and recounted eyewitness strategy um, testimonies. Question, were you comfortable, if somebody asked you why you could, were you really deeply comfortable with the reason not That you gave, not referring back to, yeah, were you comfortable with the answer that you gave? Were you deeply comfortable with it? Now, what I found is many people struggle to answer that question cogently and concisely. They'll say, I believe because Christianity is true. That's no, that that doesn't really cut it. Or because I believe the Bible. So here's my point. No matter what position you are today, whether you're a Christian, whether you are a agnostic, or whether you're an atheist, what are your reasons for that position? And this is what we're going to look at. It is not like a normal church service. In fact, you're going to hear this question too. Why should I believe anything at all? It's a fair question. A very fair question. So why do we at the very outset have to address this topic? Why? Why do we even have to go back to the basics? Before we get into all the evidences, why do we even have to look at this? Well, the major reason is our culture in New Zealand has changed. Hello? This may be news to some. But their culture's changed. Not too long ago, most Kiwis accepted a few basic facts. Most Kiwis in my lifetime accepted the basic claims of Christianity. Even if they weren't Christians. Do you know that? Most people believed in God. Most even respected the Bible. Most. That swear on the Bible. In my day, we used to have prayer in school and sing hymns and have parables told to us in secular schools. But things are heading in a different direction. Anybody else notice that? Okay, a few of you. Oh, okay, a few more. Right. Especially some of the teachers amongst us here. Back in the day, most people understood that Jesus was an actual historical person. And most generally accepted the biblical code, which is love your neighbours yourself. Don't use God's name as a cuss word. Don't do that. Respect your parents. Most people did that. And, and it wasn't lying wasn't normalised. And stealing and coveting the neighbour's spouse or possessions certainly wasn't normalised. That, my friends, is no longer true. Many people today reject the very core principles of Christianity. And those challenges are going to come to you in many sources. You're going to be challenged at university. To the core. University professors. The media will challenge you. Commentators will. Now, here are some of the allegations that are going are to come your way. Number one. And this is just off the top of my head. The first thing you're going to hear is a truth claim. And it's this. There is no God. That's what they're going to say. I'm just telling you in case you missed that. There is no God. The next thing they're going to say to you, and I know because I've listened to them and had conversations, the New Testament is unreliable and filled with fables. How are you going to answer that? Are you going to be comfortable with the answers that you give? Here's another one. Oh, the Bible is no different than any other religious book. Just one of many. Can you differentiate it credibly, factually, scientifically, mathematically? Here's another one. All religions are the same way to God. How are you going to defend that? We're going to look at that in the series. And Jesus is not the only way. He's just one of many. And the old famous one. Well, it doesn't really matter what you believe. As long as you are sincere. Yeah. We well, you know what, friends? That is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard because I can believe, if any of you have ever seen arsenic, some of you are chemists in this room, it looks like this. And I can sincerely believe that this is water. But if it's arsenic, I'm going to be sincerely dead. All right? Cheers. <laughs> Many Christians do not know how to respond to such claims. And they feel flummoxed. That's a good word, isn't it? Flummoxed. They may believe that they've found the truth, but they just can't explain the truth. Why it's true. Or why contrasting and contradictory beliefs are false because they've been bullied into this thing called political correctness. So they keep quiet. Don't rock the boat. Oh, they love God. Tick, 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 tick. But yet they secretly hope nobody asks, why are you a Christian? Isn't it just what your parents told you? You're just following that. See, people from all over our city now come from all different walks of life. And many, fact, know little about Christianity. Now, some have very sincere beliefs and substantial questions about the Bible. God and Jesus. Some, though, have never in this room today considered the actual evidence for Jesus Christ. Never considered that. And many young people sitting even in this room today, and your children may be included, and your grandchildren may be included, only know what they know they from, because they've heard it from their parents or their friends. They've never drilled down to the rock-solid science and evidence for the precious truth that we have. So, why is this important? Summary. People are searching for credible answers. Anybody found that? Credible answers. Can I see your hands if you have? Yeah. Okay, credible. Not woolly cotton wool ones. People are right to ask about Christianity. How can we know that Christianity is true? That is a fair and valid question. And people are searching for God. will want to find believable evidence. I do not believe stuff that is not credible. I'm a businessman. Show me it works. Where's the evidence? Cold, hard, and calculating some of those things. It has to be based on... On the facts. Now that sounds tough, but there's no room for woolly feelings in this. When you go to the court of evidence, I was once in a court where the judge turned to the witness and said, Sir, I'm not interested in what you feel or think. I'm interested in what you saw. Give me the facts. Very perceptive. Give me the facts. So what is the evidence that Jesus is God and that he died to forgive our sins? That Christianity is true. Now, by the way, let me just say something before some of you have a heart attack. Evidence does not save us. Do you know that? But many have turned to God when presented with the facts. And God can and will use the evidence to bring people to a saving knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he'll do. So, the Apostle Paul offered evidence, when he, for the faith. And he reasoned with the people. Notice this, Acts seventeen seventeen. So he, this is Paul, reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks as well as those in the marketplace. Circle that word reasoned. It's part of loving God with all of your mind. He reasoned with them. With the foundational claims of Christianity. He arm wrestled with them. Pulling down the vain arguments. Vain arguments which don't hold water against God. And by the way, let me just offer you one sentence at the front. Which seems a tad audacious before I've even started to present any evidence. And this is it. You will never have an intellectual argument against God. You may have a moral argument. Argument where you don't want to because of moral things in your life. But you will never be able to find something in terms of intellectual evidence against God. And we'll come to that in a minute. Look at this next verse. Acts 17.4. Some of the Jews were persuaded. Notice that. They were persuaded. That means it was some presentation of facts. And they were won over. And they joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and not a few prominent women. So men and women there, the Bible says, were persuaded and became believers based on the evidence presented. The Bible says in First Chronicles 28.9, and encourages everybody to seek God. It promises if you seek Him, you He will be found of you. And also in Jeremiah 29.13, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. So back to the question, why are you a Christian? Well, Christianity provides credible answers backed up by evidence. Now let me just say something right at the get-go. Never get bullied and be very careful of the word proof. In this life, there's only one field of science that can offer you proof. Mathematics. I did mathematics at university. And that is the only field that you could ever get proof. Every other field, you have forensic evidence, which means that you have beyond reasonable doubt. That's how our court systems work. So every time a case is brought to a judge, they will present evidence that will bring a guilty verdict beyond reasonable doubt. So Christianity provides credible answers, but we need to know how to respond. We need to know how to prepare ourselves with biblical answers and history and science and archaeology which show Christianity is true. Now, in their, our age, we're blessed because God has provided us with more verica- verification than any other generation in, in history. We've got powerful evidence for the God of the Bible, the reality, the reliability of the Old and the New Testaments. We have got powerful evidence for that. We've got powerful evidence for the deity and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Very, never shy away from that. We win, but people will try and intimidate you on that one. God expects us, though, because his knowledge is there. See, the Bible says my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. We want to take this opportunity in the church calendar to equip you with the knowledge and the facts that you can then dispense and teach others. God expects us to know it and use it. And the Bible actually directs you and I, this is a directive from God, to defend the faith, to defend it. So we're able to use the facts and good reasoning to support what we believe. Does that make sense? Yeah? Get it? Great. Let's move on. Okay. So why is this important? As Mortimer Adler observed, what we think about God impacts every area of our lives. See, ideas have implications. One. Two. God is the biggest idea you will ever have. Three. God will have the biggest implication in your life. So what we think about God impacts every area of our lives. Think about that. And it is the key to finding meaning and purpose in life. I've jumped a little ahead there because here's the deal. Without God, there is no meaning and there is no purpose. None. Now, God's challenge to us is found here in 1 Peter 3:15. Always be prepared. Question today, family. Are we prepared? Are we as prepared as we should be? To give an answer. There it is. To everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. This is a life verse for me. Always be prepared to give an answer for the hope yeah that you have but do this with gentleness and respect when those questions come, be prepared the question is can we do this are we equipped as christians are you equipped as a christian to respond when somebody asks you why are you a christian this is why i'm an atheist why are you a christian well we're commanded to we're commanded to know what we believe and why we believe it and to give answers to those who ask. We're also commended here in 2 Corinthians 10. We I love this. We demolish arguments. That is part of your calling, Mandy, To demolish vain arguments. Which what? And every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. This is part of your calling as a disciple. To demolish those arguments. And take captive every thought and make it obedient, subject to Christ, some other versions say. So, let's get down to a key term here. The word apologetics. Now, apologetics does not mean you're apologizing for something or saying you're sorry. It does not mean that. It means to defend something, to give reasons that support your beliefs. That's what apologetics actually means. To give a reason that supports what you believe is true. That's what it means. And so apologetics is what we're going to be doing through this series. And my goal in this series is to assist you into becoming a strong defender of your faith. At school. At high school, in. Well, well, later. Yeah, you know what I mean. Work when you were there. It would have been very nice to have some of the answers to some of these questions we're going to look at. To become a strong defender of your faith. So, I want to look at 10 quickly primary challenges to believe, uh, facing believers today. And you're going to hear these. I'm going to briefly summarize them. Number one, and we're going to have a message that's going to help you equip to explain the truth and why you believe these things. The first primary challenge is this. Real truth doesn't exist. Truth is just true for you. Second challenge. God does not exist. You're going to hear that. And they're going to almost stick it in your face. How are you going to respond to that? You think you could do it credibly in front of a group of five or six people? Because often it happens in front of a group. Can you stand your ground? Can you defend it? Three. Three. If God even does exist, he's probably not the God of the Bible. How, do you, how can you relate these two? How could you defend that? Four, here's a big one. Oh, miracles don't happen. Could you defend that? Reasonably. Beyond reasonable doubt. Number five. The New Testament makes many errors and is unreliable. That one there... I will spend to my dying breath defending. It is unbelievably accurate. I've got proof of that. Number six, Jesus never claimed to be God. They're going to say, he's just a guy. He didn't claim to be God. And number seven, even if he did, he didn't prove to be God. Number eight, Jesus did not rise from the dead. Well, let me tell you, if he did, there's a huge implication, right? If he did, but we're not going to get there yet. We can't get there yet. Number nine, the Bible. Ah, oh, it's just one of many religious books. That's what you're going to hear. And number ten, well, Christianity is too stinking narrow. They may say it a bit more euphemistically than that. There are many ways to God's beside Jesus. So, how will we respond in this series to those ten basic? truth claims, which the other side is making. Well, we'll approach this as a defense lawyer who would seek to prove a defendant innocent of charge. And we're going to present solid evidence. Solid. You can take this to the bank. You can show it to your professors or whoever is tackling you and presenting those truth claims. And again, my objective is to prove beyond reasonable doubt. And we'll look at many facts, we'll look at eyewitness accounts, we'll appeal to science, to history, and to archaeology, and to prophecy. Yeah, and we'll appeal to manuscript evidence. Now there's a chart in your notes there I want you to take a quick look at to show you the way ahead. We're going to start off, which is where a lot of... We can't start going climbing the ladder of stairs here until we get the first base in place, the foundation. And that is truth exists and we can know it. Because some people will say, Well, how do I know anything at all? How do I know that this isn't just the matrix? And we're just computer code. That's the sort of start. How can we know truth and that it exists? Then, we're gonna move up to next week. We're gonna start on this next one. How do we know God exists? We're gonna look at how does God you know how do we know God exists and He is the God of the Bible? That's a very big question. Then we're gonna look at miracles are possible. We're going to look at the New Testament as reliable. We're going to look at how Jesus claimed to be God. He proved to be God. He rose from the dead. The Bible is the only true holy word of God. And then finally, and it's the only way to God. And then finally, the most reasonable conclusion that you can come to is Christianity is the only religion that is true. So if you work with me, we're going to get through that where you can say that's credible at the end of it. But we're just starting now. Now, learning the facts, as important as they are, isn't the ultimate end. Whatever is true should impact our lives. Let me just say that again. Whatever is true should impact our lives. So if you're already a believer, as we go through this series, you could pray that this information will help you to love God at a deeper level. Than you have ever done before. Loving him with your mind like you have never done before. Because that's part of the great commandment. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, uh, strength, and your mind. We often forget this part. And you can pray for opportunities to share these truths of of God's, God's truths with others. Now if you're thirsty to understand the truths of the Christian faith, this series should really assist you. So let's get moving here. So since God is reasonable, he wants us to use our reason. He says, come, 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 Marie. Let us reason together. There's a reasoning that goes on. He wants us to use our reason. He made us the ability. And part of the greatest commandment, there it is again, so you can see it. And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your mind. So I want to start off with the very first challenge and that is about the challenge of truth. Does it exist? This is a philosophical question. Truth is very important because nobody wants to believe something that isn't true. Well, that's insanity. But people have very ideas of what's true. So. We need to address the issue up front with what is meant by truth. Does truth exist? Does it actually exist? So the first challenge is, and you're going to hear it, real truth doesn't exist. It's just true for you. Now, there are two contradictory views. And the first view is this. Truth is what's true for you. In this view, truth is relative. It's a subjective opinion. Truth becomes true to you as you believe it. Someone might say to you, you have your truth and I have my truth. That's what they may say to you. The second view, which is contradictory to the first view, is truth matches the facts. In this view, truth is absolute. It's an important word. It is an object, there is an objective reality. Truth matches up to what is real. In other words, it's true, and that settles it whether I believe it or not. It's true. So here's a definition of truth. Truth matches the facts, or what matches reality. Truth matches the facts. That's what the Bible encourages you and I. Get the facts at any price it says. That's how expensive. Opinions are cheap and there's plenty of them. Facts are hard to get and they're expensive. Okay. The law of non-contradiction helps us figure and discover what is false. For example, once people used to believe that the earth was flat. They believed that. And they thought that if you sail too far from the land, you'd fall off the edge of the earth. Now it's true that people believed that, but that did not make the earth flat. The earth was round. In fact, if they just read the Bible, the Bible always said the earth is round. No matter what anybody has believed, no opinion about the planet's shape has altered the reality, right? Now, truth is telling it like it is. And what we claim to be true must match the way things really are. Now, if I walked into the bank at ANZ on Monday morning and said, Nee, my claim is to have, I think I've got $10 million in the bank in my savings account. Now that's only true if I really have $10 million in the bank. If I only have a hundred bucks in my account, my statement is false. It doesn't match reality. It's not telling it like it is. It's like I hope it to be. <laughs> Teachers, Tina, will tell their children that two plus two equals four. Doesn't matter what culture, what country, what time, whether you're on Earth, Mars, or Jupiter, two plus two is four and that Henry Sewell was the first New Zealand Prime Minister and that there's a physical law we call gravity. Statements like I've just made are truth claims. I am claiming the following. Henry Sewell was the first Prime Minister of New Zealand. I am claiming that two plus two is four. It is a truth claim. Does it match the reality? Does it match the facts? So, two tests can help us discover whether something is true or not. This is useful. Number one examine all the facts to see what matches reality. Truth must be backed up by facts, supported by outside evidence. We're going to get to that in this series. Rather than personal opinion. So I'm coming at this from a a truth perspective. Now, here's a couple of examples of what some people have believed despite the facts. One of them, some people have this crazy notion that the Holocaust never happened. And the Nazis didn't murder millions of Jews. Now, how would you show that that statement is false? Give me some feedback. Somebody's making a truth claim. The Holocaust never happened. How would you challenge that truth claim? Say? Ren? Okay, you could take him to the concentration camps. Give me some other ideas. Yep, talk to survivors. I love that. Yeah, anybody else? So so, so through some documentation. How about the next one? The other crazy thing is some people today actually believe that you have never landed on the moon. Ever heard that? Crazy, crazy. How would you refute that claim? They're making a truth claim. We never landed on the moon. They're claiming that's true. How would you refute that? Um, photographs taken recently showing the landing site. Nah, you've been reading too much. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yes. I mean, that's one thing. What else? Baz. Try standing in front of Buzz Aldrin. I believe he actually hit a recording once and challenged. Yeah. Another one. Lunar dust on the beach of the Yeah. Okay. Okay, excellent. All good ideas. You can talk to the eyewitnesses. You can talk to people who worked in the program. Build the rocket, send them up. You, got, you get the idea. Absolutely. So, I want to now give you some truths about truth. Number one, we don't invent truth. We discover it. Gravity has always existed even before Newton. He just discovered it. Isn't that right, Penel? Truth does not depend on how fervently or how sincerely we believe it. Something to be true. When something is true, it's true for all people at all times and all places. It is transcultural. Huh? The true gospel is transcultural. It's the same in India and Pakistan and Sierra Leone, etc., Truth doesn't change. It never changes. What was true a thousand years ago is still true today and still will be true a thousand years in the future. It never changes. Two plus two has always equal four. Now, you may want to write this somewhere on the side because don't put any in notes. Contrary beliefs are possible, but contrary truths are not possible. Let me say that again. Contrary beliefs are possible, but contrary truths are not possible. Now, the second test is learning to think logically or correctly. God has instituted certain unbreakable laws that operate throughout the entire universe in science and math and music. For example, again, 2 plus 2 is 4. If that varied, we couldn't build a house. (laughs) We couldn't operate computers it's fixed. It is a law. Middle C, the musicians, that always oper- uh, vibrates at 261.6 hertz. And if that varied, musicians couldn't tune up their instruments. It would be, ah! It would be terrible because what that person thought was middle C, another, it, be, it just wouldn't work. And they'd be all playing offbeat, which would drive Jared mad. Now, if these laws only work some of the time, the universe would be chaotic. Because nothing will be fixed. Which is interesting. Why are these things fixed anyway? We'll come to that a little later on when we look at the universe. But God has also instituted some certain unbreakable laws of right and correct thinking, which we call the laws of logic. And the most important one for you to remember today is the law of non-contradiction. First, we'll look at what it says. Then we'll look at what it means and the implications of that, which are huge. One, the law of non-contradiction says two contrary or opposite truth claims cannot be true at the same time and in the same sense. So, con- uh, truth claim number one, God exists. Truth claim number two, God does not exist. Both of them cannot be true. One of them's right and one of them is wrong. Simple as that. To find out which true claim matches reality, we have got to examine the data, the evidence. Now, while we always won't come to the same conclusion, we cannot pretend that all choices can be correct. You get that, Emma? Not all choices can be correct. There's only one answer to two plus two is four. It's not five or three. Only one. This is not... So they cannot be both correct when they're contradictory. So we'll find out that we're compelled to make a choice. Either God exists with this implication or he doesn't. Either Jesus is eternally God, or he is not. There's only two choices. Now, if he is, that has enormous implications. If he's not, that's also got enormous implications. We're dealing with some very big stakes here. Let me give you an example. Here's a law of non-contradiction. Somebody says, here he is, good old John Lennox. If you haven't listened to any of John Lennox's, uh, th- these are both Oxford professors, by the way. John Lennox says God exists. Dawkins says God does not exist. Now, they can't both be right, and they're both Oxford professors. One of them's right, and one of them's wrong. Now, somebody who once put this very nicely. Somebody who has a problem with the law of non-contradiction. Anyone who denies the law of non-contradiction. Next slide. Should be beaten. You got the next slide, guys? Is it coming up? Yeah, here it is. Look at this. Anyone who denies the law of non-contradiction should be beaten and burnt. Until he admits that to be beaten and burned, beaten is not the same as not to be beaten, and to be burned is not the same Is not to be burnt. Right? (laughs) You get the message? (laughs) That's very important. Let's move on to the next one. All truth, I want to underscore this, is absolute. Something that is true is true for all persons at all times and in all places. So, I want to just quickly cover some of the objections you're going to come up with at uni and school, and your children and grandchildren are going to come up uh, to absolute truth. And here's a few of them. I'm just going to quickly summarise them first and then go back and look at the objections. Number one, there is no truth. Number two, you can't know truth. Number three, all truth is relative. And you've all heard this one. Well, it's true for you, but not for me. Christians have the way of saying it this way. Well, that's just your interpretation. That's, that's Christianese. Sorry, for those of you, that's an in-house joke. Number five, no one has the truth. You'll hear that. And number six, how many times have you heard this? You ought not to judge. Anybody heard that one? Yeah, okay, right, okay. So let's take a few of these. Now, the greatest tool in answering these objections, the greatest tool, this is a good lesson, we call this, how many of you are old enough to remember the, the guy Roadrunner and Coyote? Anybody remember Yeah, I love that guy. <laughs> Roadrunner and Coyote, that, you know. We're going to use this, remember that, you may want to write up the side somewhere, call this the, um, the Roadrunner Tactics we're going to talk about for the next few minutes. The greatest tool in answering these objections that you've just heard, those six, is applying the claim to itself. Now, let me give you an example of that. The first one is here. If somebody were to stand, if I were to stand here and say, I can't speak a word of English. Isn't that a, non- a contradiction? right? Because I'm speaking in English. I cannot speak a word of English. Didn't you say that? So we get the principle. Let's move back now to these areas of truth. Now, we call this the roadrunner tactic because the person making the claim has no ground. And I mean no ground to stand on. You know, he used to go tearing off the cliff. I like that part. And he goes quite the way. And all of a sudden, he looks down. Remember that one? (laughs) 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 This is the tactic I want you to get today. We're going to look at this. So, here's the first one, the first claim that we looked at. There is no truth, right? You've heard that. But look at this. Is that true? They're claiming there is no truth. That's the truth they're claiming. But is that true? <laughs> See, that's a truth claim. But they're saying there is no truth. Let's move on. Genius. Next one. There is no such thing as absolute truth. Are you absolutely sure? <laughs> you see what we're doing? We're using the own claim against it. They've got no grounds to stand on. <laughs> there goes another one. All truth is relative. Was that a relative truth? Same thing. Use the claim against it. Here's another one. It's true for you, but not for me. Was that true for everybody? You see what we're doing there? We're using the claim back against itself. There's no truth in anything but science. Is that a scientific truth? The answer is actually no, it's not. We won't go into that now. Here, here's another one. No one has the truth. Then how do you know that's true? See, they're claiming that no one has the truth, but they're saying, you know, nobody has the truth, but yet I'm telling you that this is the truth. It's crazy. The road run, the tactic, psh, there it goes again. Off the cliff. Oh, this is a good one. You shouldn't impose your moral views on others. Well, is that your moral view? Because <laughs> they're asking you to do something that they are not to do, something that they are doing. You see what the problem is? But they don't think about that. Here's another good one you ought not to judge. Well, isn't that a judgment? <laughs> it's the same principle, in every single one of them. But they're not thinking. Psh, there they're doing off the cliff again. They're judging you and they're saying you ought not to judge. But they're making the judgment themselves. They've just fallen off the cliff. It's just your interpretation. Oh. Isn't that just your interpretation? You know, I'll move on. So why is this important? It's important because it's a common myth today to hear that all belief systems are equally true. And that no belief system has any truth advantage over another. That's what the the general belief is, guys. But here's a fact. Hear this, dear family. That world religions contradict each other on oh, the major points the major points they are totally contradictory so let's dispel that myth clean out the door let's just look at a few three Christian beliefs about Jesus number one Jesus is God number two Jesus has always been God these are truth claims a number th- a- 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 in other words, he didn't at some point become God. He's always been. We sung about that this morning. And number three, only Jesus is God. People are not God. There are three Christian truth claims. Now here's the issue. Let me make it specific. Hindus say that Jesus is one of many men who have become God. Contradictory. Mormons believe that Jesus was a man before he came God and that worthy really Mormons can also become God's. Contradictory. Muslims esteem Jesus as one of Allah's great prophets, but they do not believe he is God. Contradictory. Buddhism holds Jesus to be a remarkable teacher and that's it. Contradictory. Judaism does not believe Jesus is God. Contradictory. Contradictory. We've covered the five significant religions. Each religion believes something contradictory about who Jesus is or who he claimed to be. They cannot all be right. And we're going to look at the evidence to show you, so you can anchor this in stone, so to speak, that you're on solid ground. This is where the law of non contradiction becomes crucial. It tells all these ideas about Jesus cannot be right because they're contradictory. Now, here's, here's a very big point. Do not miss this. If Christianity is true, for those of you who are investigating it, in what it says about Jesus, then all other belief systems or that are opposed to it are false. And they're wrong. They're flat wrong. If it is true, these things which are going dis- to demonstrate to you over these next coming weeks about questioning, if this is true, then everything that opposes it is false. That's wrong. As we get towards the end of this, three reasons why we have to have the right view of truth. Number one, truth affects our daily lives. If truth was merely what's true for you, then all of life would be chaotic bedlam. Why should anybody teach? Tina, why go to work today? Because, you know, why should everybody take a math test? Because, well, what I think is right, and who cares? Why should anybody even take a driver's test? Because I'll just do what I like. What feels right for me is right. If no correct answer exists. So truth affects our daily lives in powerful ways. Two, truth affects our eternal life. If truth were only my set of opinions, then there is no objective reality. Did you get that? There is no objective reality if truth is only my set of opinions. We would have no basis for believing that we could know anything true about God or life or what happens after we die. It's not just about the here and now, but it's about eternal life itself hangs in the balance based on truth. We are, I, and those of you who call yourselves Christians, are betting your life this is true. And those of you who are atheists are betting your life it's false. What I'm suggesting in these weeks ahead, that you have a fresh look at that evidence. The Bible makes truth claims about God. It says that God is the God of the Bible, the one true God, the God of truth. And his way and his word are true. That's what the Bible claims. In fact, here in Psalm 31 verse 5, it says, O Lord, the God of truth. The God of truth. Psalm 919 verse 30 says, I have chosen the way of truth. And that is my prayer for you today. That you who are considering and searching for the way of truth, that you would choose the God of truth. I have set your heart on my laws. The way of truth. Now the Bible makes truth claims. It says, it talks about the good news of Jesus Christ is true. That we can learn and know the truth. The Bible claims it is the truth. So either it is the truth or it is not. Right? Either or. Good logic. Jesus said in the classic verse in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth. I match reality. This is reality. And the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus claimed there, He is the truth. 78 times in the New Testament, Jesus explicitly claimed the truth, to be the truth. You kind of get the point. I mean, 78 times. And then the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of what? Truth. We've forgotten this word in our modern vernacular. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will be a witness, tell the truth also, about me. The Holy Spirit reveals truth to people. Now, a common criticism leveled against Christianity, and you've heard it, so have I, is this. Christianity and is way too narrow. You know, when you say Jesus is the only way to God, ever heard that one? Yeah. But I want you to think about this. Even the atheist claim that there is no God is just as narrow. Do you get? Oh, yeah, that's good. It is true. Each statement is a declaration that something is true and by definition what contradicts it is false. Here's my point. Every truth claim is narrow. Don't ever be pushed into a corner on that one. Every truth claim is narrow. Why? Because truth itself is narrow. There's only one. All religious truths are narrow Because such claims maintain they are true, and therefore the opposing claims are false. So the person is no more closed-minded by saying God exists than for saying he doesn't exist. The fact is, one of those statements is true, only one. And therefore the opposing view is false. Believing either one automatically excludes believing the other. Now since all truth is God's truth, I want you to take courage, believers, do not fear that somehow some new truth will come up and undermine the truth of God because all truth is God's truth. Christians ought to be willing to look at all of the facts open-mindedly and all the evidence. We're to be closed-minded only when we comes to accepting something that we know is untrue. In other words, that it doesn't match reality or doesn't tell it like it is. And I say, bring on the truth. So, I want to summarize here. Truth is what matches the facts. It matches the facts. What corresponds to reality. I also want to encourage you, and I will later demonstrate to you that truth is knowable. Three, contradictions or opposites cannot both be true in the same time in the same sense. If a statement is true, it's contradiction is false. We need to lay this foundation before we move on in this series. These statements lay the foundation for our next challenge, which is the existence of God, which we're going to look at next week. So when Mortimer Adler asked, why was this God section the largest in the great books of the Western World series, which he edited, he insightfully and rightly observed that it's because more implications flow from the subject of God than any other subject. So, there are five, the most consequential questions in the entire world. It's not how you're going to meet your budget. It's not how you're going to do your strategic plan. It's these. (coughs) Number one, Origin, where did we come from? Everybody deep down is asking that question. Where did I come from? These are them. I'm giving you the five most consequential questions in life. Number two. Who am I? Or who are we? Who am I? Number three. Why am I here? Number four. How should I live? Because frankly, without God, why wouldn't you live like hell? Because there's no right and no wrong. Who says what's right? Who says what's wrong? There's no rational basis for that. There's no rational basis for morals without God. Number five, destiny, the question of destiny. Where am I going? A lot of people want to know that. Is there anything after? Is There's an intense interest on life after death. Is this all there is? Now the answer, I want you to know, to each of these questions directly depends upon God. He speaks into every one of those things. If God exists, then there is ultimate meaning and ultimate purpose to your life. There's a real way and a right way to live And there's a wrong way to live it. Now, your choices you make now not only affect you here, but will affect you in eternity. On the other hand, if there is no God, then ultimately, life has no meaning because there's no enduring purpose to life. There's no right way, no wrong way to live it, and it doesn't matter how you live or what you believe because at the end of the day, you're going to end up a bunch of dust. That's it. So which world religion if any, answers the God question correctly. Isaiah 1.18 says, Come now, let us reason together. He wants us to use our reason. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to lay a foundation before we, before we come to you next week. And the incredible evidence that you have given us that you exist. I pray that you give every person in here a deep desire and capacity to absorb the things that you want to communicate to them, to make them strong defenders of the faith, to broaden their universe, and to see how amazingly abundant you are in the provision of evidence that you have given. For everything. You match reality. You made reality, Lord. You are the ultimate reality. I pray as we go through this series, you will bring us on in our understanding and our knowledge of yourself. We ask this in Jesus' name. And all the people say,